Oh, amen. That was great. How you doing this morning, church? Great. Yeah? All right. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm glad. Hey, so we're uh, continuing this series we've been talking about for several weeks. We're in the sixth week, actually, calling it Everyone Always. And are there some of these components of relationships in our life that the word always would apply, which is a dangerous word to use always? We think there are. And so uh, I'm looking back on this this week, and I, I think it's been an incredible series, but I was thinking, if we're all living these things out, can you imagine the effect that we would be having on people? Like, let me just walk through it. If we were respecting everyone always in our life, everyone we came in contact with, if we were loving with open arms everyone God put in our path, even people that think different than us, if we were loving, if we were welcoming everyone, like we were looking and saying, who's disconnected? Who's new? And how do I welcome them into my life? If I were to serve everyone, serving, giving up of myself. And then finally, how about this word bless we talked about last week? Like if I was blessing people, like just going around and saying, how can I be a blessing to you? What in the world? I mean, the kind of effect we would have on people's life if we were doing these things to everyone always. That would be powerful. In fact, I think people around us would be transformed in some way because we were interacting this way with them. And I was thinking about these this week, and I think these are all wonderful. I mean, they're, 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 they've been very challenging to me. I hope they've been challenging to you. But do you know what they all lead to? Doing these things, they all lead to this. And that is this opportunity to present Christ to everyone always. It's this open door to say, I'm going to share Christ with other people as often as I can whenever there's an open door. Because church, you know, like the, the stakes are high. Life is fragile. We don't know how long we have an opportunity to share Christ with people. We don't know how many open doors there might be. So because of that, that's kind of what I want to walk through this morning in our Everyone Always series. Now, I think Jesus would approve of this focus. Uh, there was a time where some people asked him, uh, what are you here for? Like you say you're the son of God come down, descended from heaven. What are you here for? And Jesus uh, looks at them and he says this, this famous verse. It says in Luke chapter 19, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Like what Jesus is saying, like my primary job, my role, what I came to do my primary thing was to share the love of the Father, my message to anyone who would listen, to anyone that would hear this. And then Jesus' final words after 33 years of being on the earth. Remember, he died, he resurrected. And appearing to his closest followers, he says this. Uh, I'll paraphrase for you. I want you to go. These are his final words. I want you to go everywhere to the ends of the earth. Like, like I think about it, I want you to get on horseback, and I want you to, to get on boats, and I want you to walk into your drop. I want you to go everywhere on the planet and present this message of God to everyone that will listen. I want you to go. That's Jesus' final words to his disciples, to his closest followers. So I think Jesus would agree with this. The Apostle Paul certainly would agree with this as he heard the message of Christ and he went and did this. One time he's in prison. In fact, he's in prison a lot of times. But on one particular occasion, he learns he might get out. And you can imagine the immediate bucket list of everything he would do when he gets out. But he writes about one 
to the church at Colossae. He says this in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 3, Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities, when they get out, to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. We want to share this message. It's why we're in prison in the first place. When we get out, we would like to go and have more opportunities to share about Jesus. Another time Paul says this, and he's so clear, for me to live is Christ. Like if I'm going to live, right, get out of prison and live, I'm going to live in Christ. That's going to be my center. To die is gain, he says, because he explains I can go and be with the Father. But this is what he says. If I get out of prison... Like, I'm going to really focus full-time on presenting Christ to everyone always. That's his focus. Here's what I think in the life of most Christ followers. There comes this point where you were presented with the importance of sharing Christ. And, and maybe you've been kind of lukewarm up to it at this point. You're like, ah, maybe, I don't know, it's kind of a private thing just for me. Like, you're presented with this at some point. But then you can come to this point in your life where you go, you know what, like this seems in my reading of God's word, this seems in my understanding of Jesus and Paul and Peter and John, this seems to be one of the most significant things I could do with my remaining days, and that is to present Christ to as many people as possible, whoever might listen. I remember being in a a church service about 10 years ago, and the pastor said something that just wrecked me. And it transformed me. It's stuck with me since. He said, the greatest gift that you'll ever give another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. That's the greatest gift you could ever give a human being. It's an introduction to the God who loves them. Listen, I I mean, these are so important that we would respect, excuse me, that we'd respect and love and welcome and serve and bless. These are so important. I hope you will keep doing these. These are the attributes of Christ himself. And so we'll continue doing these. People will be impacted. People will be appreciative. But when you have the opportunity, when these things open up a door, that we would present Christ to everyone always. We present Jesus to people, and we would see redemption We'd see transformation in their life. We would see a new understanding of the life Christ offers, as his word says. And listen, uh, this is a gift that will change them internally. They'll be different the rest of their life. This is a gift that will change them eternally. They'll be different forever. That's the most significant gift that you can give another human being, is this introduction to a God who loves them. I remember not uh, too terribly long ago, I was kind of sitting down and I was reviewing a list of like all of my friends that were far from God. I'm, I'm talking about, uh, I wasn't just like, you know, that one guy at the grocery store maybe. I mean, these were like people I was close to, people I loved and God had given me lots of inter- uh, interaction with them. And I was actually watching and there was some destructive habits in their life. I was seeing some of this dysfunction that was going on in their life and how they chose to live outside of Christ. You know, sometimes I even see this among Christ followers. When we lose focus or God at the center of our lives and we start to take on some of these dysfunctions in our life. And the phrase I heard years ago came to my mind again that every single person I know would be better off if Christ was at the center of their life. 
That's a pretty sweeping statement. Like every single person, everyone would be better off if Christ was at the center of their life. Church, do you believe that? Like, do you believe that statement? So the question would be, why would we not orient our life to impact people by being able to present Jesus to them on a regular basis? Hold that thought, because uh, I want to come back to that in a little bit when we get practical. Um, but first, I want to take you back to an obscure story in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's actually in the Old Testament uh, of your Bible. And uh, there are these times in the Old Testament, and if you love kind of the action stories of kingdoms and kings and wars and battles and all that kind of stuff, you know, some, some in, in First and Second Samuel, certainly in First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, it's all in there. This shows up in the second book of Kings in chapter 6 and 7. Now, it's a pretty large chunk of Scripture, let me give you an overview of what's going on here. Samaria is under attack. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, we find that there is attack going on where they just like, they outnumber, they go in and they just wipe out and destroy, right? We see this on different occasions. This is one of the times where they actually held, uh, the town of Samaria was under siege. You understand what that means? That they just basically cut off uh, all their, their lifeline supplies, um, Arameo is the country that is, that is actually teeming with some other countries, and they are surrounding Samaria, about 40,000 strong. Pretty good-sized army at the day. And they're holding siege. And so when uh, anyone from Samaria would come out to take care of their crops or their animals or that type of thing, uh, they were just immediately killed. Now, it doesn't take many of those deaths to understand, I better not go outside the walls here. I better not go take care of the crops or take care of my animals. We'll figure out another way, I guess. And so it didn't take too long before food started to, started to be scarce and water started to, to dry up. And it didn't take uh, too long before there was mass panic in the city. It didn't take too long before the economy just went to pot there and that, that they actually uh, were selling things for eight times, ten times more, little items. And then we actually find in this section, it gets so incredibly bad. The lifeline is so cut off from the city that we actually read that cannibalism starts happening in this town. Can you imagine resorting to that, how dire you would feel? That's what's going on in this city as it's being held under siege. And so there was these four lepers. They were battling leprosy. They were going to die anyway. And so they decide we can stay in the city and we can have a slow, painful death, or we can go out and like maybe mix it up out there and you know, go see what's going on. And chances are we won't get too far out and we'll get you know, shot down you know, by arrows. We'll be, we'll be goners anyway. You know? so, uh, so they just decided they would go ahead and go out of the city, and they did. And they went out, and nothing happened. And they traveled a little further, and nothing happened. They traveled all the way to the point where they thought the uh, camps of the opposing army were, were holding up, and guess what they found? Nothing. Abandonment. Everybody was gone. The tents were there, the supplies were there, the food was there, but nobody was there. They had scattered, almost like they had disappeared. We learn in the scripture what actually happened was God, one evening, he rustled up a scary sound of war coming to the people that were holding them under siege, these Arameans, 
and they heard chariot sounds and war sounds and war cries, and they got so panicked that they were now surrounded that they just abandoned everything they had and ran for the hills. And so now it was empty. So, of course, these four lepers are thinking, we made the right call here, right? We came out, and so they start to eat and drink, as you uh, might suspect. They started to put on new clothes. It's been scarce for a long time. And so they're enjoying, you know, the, the fruit of them coming out and what is there. And then they come up with this idea. Hey, eventually, like the town's going to understand what happened here and people are going to come out. Let's take as much of this stuff as we can and let's hide it in a cave. And then we'll always have provision for ourselves. And that was the plan. As they're starting to move forward on this plan, they're hit with a thought, and it crushes them. And it's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9. Finally, these leopards, they say to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they're like, I mean, we're fed, right? And we've got drink and we've got food and we've got, you know, we got everything. They left everything. We got it all. And now we're going to put it all in a used store at cave somewhere so we have supplies for later, right? And then it just hits them. We're wrong. This isn't right. This is a day of good news. This is a day of provision And we've got to go tell the people. So that's what they do. They go back and they knock on the door, right? And they say, look, you're not going to believe this. But we went out there. They're all gone. All the bad guys are gone. As you can imagine, the people start flooding and pouring out of the cities. um, And they come and they, they find the supplies and they're finding food and they're finding everything that they had been without up till now. And there's a celebration, as you might imagine, all over the place. And I imagine, the scripture doesn't say it this way, but I imagine that these four lepers are just sitting back and they're just watching all of this going on. Like they're watching people eat and drink and try on clothes. Like I can imagine they're just sitting on the side, maybe leaning against a rock and they're watching this going on and they're saying this, this feels pretty good. Like this feels way better than having supplies in a cave somewhere. We did the right thing. This was a day of good news, and everyone in the city now knows. And their joy is our joy. Now, you might imagine where I'm going, probably. Like, when you turn the corner in your life as a Christ follower, and you decide you want to be the kind of person that presents Christ and shares Jesus with other people, anytime, whenever there's an open opportunity, Guess what? Some people are actually going to hear the message and the love of Christ. And some people are actually, they're going to receive Christ. And you're going to be sitting back in this worship center one day. I don't know. It doesn't matter where you're sitting, right? There's going to be a baptismal up here. You're going to be sitting back, right? And that person that God used you as part of the process to share Christ with, they're going to get baptized. And while they're getting baptized, like I'm telling you, you're going to be an emotional mess. It's going to be joy, but you're going to be a mess because God used you in such a way. 
Just like the four leopards, maybe leaning against a rock saying, we did the right thing. Like, you didn't keep the news to yourself. You didn't say this Christianity thing, you know, like, it's just kind of a private thing. But you went out and shared the love of Christ with other people and what Christ has to offer their life. And you're going to watch this person getting baptized and you're going to think, like, this is the greatest feeling in my life. Because the greatest gift you can ever give another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. So what if, uh, let's just think for a moment. Like, what if we all bought into this? Like, what if everyone that's sitting here was being tapped with the Holy Spirit, everyone at Wendover Hills, right? And you're just being tapped and said, get in the game. Like, get into this and share and present Christ. How do you do it? Like, how do you get into the game, if we were to call it that? How do you become the kind of Christ follower who looks for these opportunities to present Christ to everyone always? A couple suggestions for you this morning. They're in your notes if you'd like to look along. The first one is this. It always starts. It always starts with prayer. I want to challenge each of you to this simple concept called chair time. You know what chair time is? You just get your Bible and you find your favorite chair in the house, whatever it is, whatever you like, your favorite place to sit down. You tell your family, hey, love your family, leave me alone for the next 15 minutes. And you just spend time in God's word for the next 15 minutes. Some of you are like, 15 minutes, that's not, you know, that's not very long. That's like half a sitcom, right? But for so many of you not in the habit of reading God's word, you can get through a lot in 15 minutes. God can speak a ton into your heart in 15 minutes. Maybe grab a, a journal wouldn't be a bad idea and write down everything that comes to your heart, everything God speaks to you about. Here's what it does. It prompts you on how to pray. It prompts you on what to pray for. If you're confused and say, I don't even know what to pray for, you know, I know there's a person sick down the street and, and that kind of stuff. Pray for those. Get in God's word and let him direct you on what to pray for. And then I'll encourage you to do this as well. Just turn your hands over to God and say, God, I'd like to be, I'd like to present your message to anyone who shows up in my path. Like for anyone that you've put in front of me, I'd like in some way, somehow to present your message. I want to be loving. I want to be respectful. I want to be everything we talked about here, but I want, I want to present you to people. I'm willing. I'm a willing participant. You supply the way. Pray that every single day. God will make the arrangements. You be willing. Here's the second thing is simply be intentional. You know, over the last 20 years of my Christianity, um, that I've tried to be a bit strategic. Like I, I've tried to imagine where are the environments in my life that God's already put there where I can actually do what we're talking about here, where I actually can present Christ to other people. Back when my boys were, uh, they were under six years old. They're 20 and 18 now. So back when they were under six years old, uh, we signed them up for the local Little League, you know, the T-ball uh, where they go out there and hit and, you know, and everything they do is golden and parents are in the stand saying, yeah, did you see him hit that? I mean, all that, that, that atmosphere. We were out there uh, with the kids. And my oldest wanted to do actual Little League because he wanted that patch that he'd seen on TV. So we went around the corner at the local Little League, and we signed up. This is our first exposure to this kind of youth sports type of thing. 
And so what we found right away was the kids play and they interact and they have a great time and the parents line the side and all stare this way and you have to be really intentional if you actually turn this way and interact with another parent. It's very easy to go through the whole game without actually talking to others. So God started to open up these doors and we said, let's just start chatting with people around us, right? And we met this guy named Ryan and I liked Ryan right away. He had a bit of a baseball background. I have a baseball background. Um, he was a, a cowboy. I'm not a cowboy, so we didn't have that going on. But we started to chat about life, and I learned very quickly his dad was a pastor, but he had left. I mean, he had just kind of blown that off years and years before. His dad still pastored about an hour up the road. And so every once in a while he would go up there, but other than that, church was not a part of his life, and, and they would say, yeah, we believe in God, but, but Christ was really not the center of his life. And so we started to interact and chat a little bit. Down the road, I said, hey, you know, I, I help out at this church down the road, and why don't you guys come up one week, and we can hang out, maybe do lunch or stuff. It's not like that first week he said, man, Tom, thanks so much. I was just hoping maybe today at this practice. That didn't happen, and he didn't come that week, but eventually... Ryan showed up, and his wife, Janelle, showed up, and their kids were really, really small then, and they started getting involved, and eventually, Ryan got baptized at the church. Surely, growing up with his father as a pastor, he probably had some faith encounter, some faith experience, but he walked away from that, and I'm sure in his plan, he had no expectation of coming back to that, but God had another route. Next thing I know, uh, we, we're, we're heading out of Phoenix, and we moved to Chicago. But within a year or so after that, I learned, you know who else was there? Ryan's brother. And then Ryan's other brother started coming to church. Their, their wives started coming as well. And then Janelle's cousin started coming to the church. They had this whole network of people that started coming and plugging into the church. And then the father retired as a pastor, and sure enough, he ends up at that church. And here's this whole family, a dozen or so strong, plugged in doing the work of God at the church. You never know what God's going to do if you just be intentional for just a moment or two. Shri drugged me one time uh, to a canned food drive at a local chiropractic office, right? Now, I'm not opposed to canned food drives. That's fine. But I had no interest in being in a chiropractic office. At the time of my life, um, and if you're a chiropractor, I'm sorry, but at the time in my life, I just thought, this is crazy kooky stuff, right? Like, if I accidentally sneeze, I'm going to be told everything, you know, comes back to some point in my back. And, and I just didn't buy into anything at the time, right? So I thought, let's just drop our canned foods off. We'll get our quick exam. I didn't even know what that meant to get an exam uh, at a chiropractic office. So we bring our canned foods and we go into the office um, of this, this doctor, Dr. Poise. And we sit down in the chair and we're waiting, you know, as doctors sometimes make you do. We're waiting. But we look up on the shelf and sure enough, wouldn't you notice, there's some baseball memorabilia up on the shelf. And this, this is kind of a soft spot for me, you know, baseball stuff. And I'm looking, and there's a picture, like a team picture. Have you seen these where the whole team is? And I'm like, I looked at the years. I looked at the picture, and I thought, that's his college baseball picture. He's about the same year, same age as I am. And immediately I knew what God was doing. Like God was saying, look, in just a minute, Tom, this guy's going to walk in the room. He's going to be your age. 
He's going to be a baseball enthusiast, and chances are he's going to be far from God. You know, you better follow my prompting, is what God was saying. And sure enough, he walked in, and it was exactly as God was sharing. So we developed a bit of a, a friendship. We played a little baseball on the side together. He came over to the church. He was living with his girlfriend his time. They were both far from God, didn't really have interest in that uh, in their life. And then there was a breakup, and I could see the open heart and the, the desire to draw close. And so we were really trying to capitalize on that moment, spending time with them, sharing about Jesus. And then what would happen? He moved about 45 minutes away down in, in Mesa, Arizona. And I thought, man, we're really going to have to be intentional now, Lord. But you know what God did? He took him down to Mesa, and he had him meet a girl named Trisha who loved the Lord. And Trisha drug him to church, drug him harder than I drug him to church, right? And sure enough, not long after that, they got married. And they invited us uh, to the wedding. And when we went to the wedding, it was as if Shree and I were like those four lepers you're talking about. In there, we were talking about in the story, just sitting back on the side watching. Nobody knew we walked into his office one day. Nobody knew God said, Tom, you better share Christ with this guy. Nobody knew that. We just sat back, and there was an internal joy in watching this Christian ceremony Mike and his new uh, wife were having. Listen, none of this happens from gifting, none of it. None of it's happened because anybody is more talented than anyone else. This is just getting up one morning and deciding that you want to turn your Christianity into something where you present Christ as often as you can, and you say, this is going to be priority in my life. This is going to be important. You know, if I'm ever asked as a pastor, like, what do you want from your people? Like, at your church, what do you want for them? I would answer this. I would want them to experience being a part of leading someone to Christ, hands down. Hands down for you to experience being a part of leading somebody to Christ. It's amazing. So I want to share with you one more uh, a thing here, but let me give you a little context of this one. Because the question might come, why don't more Christians present Christ as often as possible. I think one of the greatest things is fear. You're a little afraid you might get asked a question that you don't know how to answer, right? Like, um, you know, why exactly is the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament? And you're like, oh, well, Habakkuk, I didn't even know that was in there. You know, most of the time we're never asked those kind of questions. But sometimes we get fearful of the questions we are asked. What exactly is Christianity? Who exactly is Christ? What did he come to do? And we, we get a little nervous on even answering those. We ask, well, like, do I walk them through the Romans road, salvation process? Do you remember the Romans road? If you've been in church quite a while, you take a few verses from the book of Romans, you know, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And we walk through those. You know, should I walk people through that? Or we say, or should I draw the two cliffs? You know, I got a cliff over here and a cliff over here and a great chasm in between. And there's no way for me to get to God over these chasm, but Christ's cross comes and he's the bridge. Should I walk them through this cliff uh, drawing? Or, or maybe I should just write do and don't, or I mean, excuse me, do and done on the board. And I should, I should explain to them how do up here is is like we try to do and get our way and make ourselves right with God. The done is what Christ has already done to give us relationships. Should I walk them through this do or done model? Listen, all of these are helpful. In fact, what I wanted to do this week in my email to you 
is to just explain these and flesh these out a little bit so you know how to use them and, and uh, how to be gracious and how to use them as well and loving. And so I'll do that on email form. But let me encourage you to not too quickly dismiss the more effective way to present Christ to everyone. And that's simply this. Share your story. To share your story about your encounter with Christ. Now, some of you right away, this is what you said in your head. I don't have much of a story. And the, and the truth of the matter is you do. You do have a story. Like there was a time in your life before you knew Christ. There's a time where Christianity wasn't part of your life. And so you share that. And then if, I think if you put a little work into it, a little thought, you would share and you would describe what you felt like before Christ. And then there was this other time, if you, if you give a little bit of work and thought into it, where you came to know Christ. And what was that like? What did you discover about Jesus? You discovered about his death and resurrection. You discovered about the life he offers. And you interacted with that and you believed that. So that's his pre-Christ story. There's a story about learning about Christ, and then you have since I trusted Christ. You have the story to say, you know, now I am a Christian, and here's how God has transformed my life. Here's how he's made me new. Here's what he's doing right now. And you'd share that story. Look, church, your story will have more impact on people than you ever possibly dream if you would just share it. Bathe it in prayer and then share it. Many of you have met uh, Amanda Lucas, who I met at the gym, and uh, through interaction, and some of you as well, she started coming to church. She surrendered her life to Christ. We baptized her. In fact, her baptism is one, one of the pictures above the water fountain in there. But what you may not know of the story is Amanda is Hungarian. So she speaks Hungarian, and she speaks good English. But her parents don't speak English as well. And so guess who is sharing her story with her parents. Guess who is the one in their language who is sharing about what she's learned since she's come to church, about her baptism, about how she processes life totally different. Like when she sends us these texts sometimes late at night where she's still at work and says, hey, just need prayer for this, or you know, this is going on, or this is, and we say, share that with your parents, what you just said. She's the one doing this. What's happening there? Amanda's just turning around and sharing her story with their parents. So not too long ago, several weeks ago, she sent me a little text, and we had been talking about this, and so she followed it up, and she said, I think my parents are close. Um, now, you know how sometimes people with text, they will go several days, and then they'll pick up the conversation as you're talking about it. So I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. So, and she said, I, I think they're close to joining us at church. Do you think it would be okay if I translated to them while you're talking. And of course, I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's actually the second time I was asked that in the last few weeks. I'm like, absolutely. Be great. In fact, I, I might get stumbled up just sitting there watching you. Do it, you know, knowing you're sharing Christ with them right there. Listen, if I live to be 100 years old, I hope I do. It'll be fun. I'll never get over the thrill of God touching a human life. Will you? God transforming someone. That's the best. The absolute best part of the Christian life is how God uses us. So God invites you into this adventure as well. So I want to encourage you, everyone, pray. Pray that God would use you today, that he would arrange somebody to enter your path even this week. 
Like, think about every environment where you might be useful and go be a little strategically intentional. And don't ever disrespect your story. People do really want to hear it. And God will use you. God will use me. God will use all of us to present Christ always. Deal? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, I just want to ask, Father, that you would use us even right away. Father, I know for some that this would be the morning that they would say, look, I've been a little lukewarm about this, hasn't been a big priority, kind of viewed this as just a private thing. But Lord, you're sparking within them this morning this desire to present you as often as they can to as many people that you would put in their path. They don't have to push through any doors. They don't have to knock down any doors. Just simply the opportunities you've already presented. If that's you this morning, you can start simply now. You can just say, Lord, I want to start right now. I want to declare this is priority. This is important. And I want to do this. I want you to use me. And you might even pray this moment, Lord, I long for the day that somebody will be getting baptized up here and I will have been a part of sharing with them about you. I pray that, Lord, for everyone in here, everyone that calls Wendover Hills home. So, Lord, send us out. I expect it will happen this afternoon, tomorrow, with family, with friends, coworkers, in our hobbies, at the dance studio, with our sports, wherever. You're going to put us in that opportunity. Would we share Christ with them? Would we offer invites to church? Would we offer invites into community with us? Show us the way we pray. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Well, as I've been asking you um, each week, if you would use the